Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Those of you just joining us, we're in uh, the second week of a teaching series called People Skills, and we're trying to sharpen our relationship tools and discover the way of Jesus uh, in community with other people. So uh, just off the top, our topic this morning is, uh, is actually forgiveness. That's the people skill we're going to be looking at. And let me just ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been wronged by somebody? I think the answer to that question is yes. Uh, you've all had somebody stab you in the back. You've had somebody betray you. You've been wounded by somebody. Maybe you've been neglected by somebody. Maybe you've had somebody break a promise to you. And all of those lists of things that I've just said may have actually happened this last week. It may have actually even happened this morning. I mean, if there's anything every person in this room has in common is that at some point in your life, somebody has wronged you or somebody has hurt you. And if you're like me, well, you have this follow-up question. What do you do when people have wronged you? How do you deal with it? How do you wrestle with that? And when you are wronged, there's essentially three negative pathways you can take. There are, there are three uh, probably more destructive ways that you can respond when people have wronged you. The first one is this, is you can deny it. In other words, you can minimize the actions of the other person or you can blame yourself for them. But the problem with denial is that denial is only going to keep the pain at bay for a season. As they say, denial is just ain't just a river in Egypt. You've maybe heard that before. So if the offense is huge, and if the offense is real, eventually what's going to happen through denial is it's going to surface. It's going to eat you up inside, and no matter how hard you try to push it down, it's going to come up at some point in your life. The other option, though, is to seek revenge. And uh, the problem with revenge, of course, is that we eventually become like the person that we're seeking revenge against. Revenge generally leads to more revenge. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, he who seeks revenge should dig two graves. The Bible teaches us in Romans 12, 9, it says, don't seek revenge, my my brothers. Don't seek revenge, because that's God's role. That's God's role to ultimately avenge uh, what has been wronged uh, in us. So when we're seeking revenge, essentially what we're doing is we're taking the role of God, and we're trying to uh, do his job, which is uh, to avenge wrongs. But the third option is the most common option. And the third option is holding on. This is where you, you kind of keep a tight grip on past offenses. So you keep going over it, over and over, over it again. Um, but the thing is that the more you hold on to it, the more you keep a grip on those past offenses, the deeper it goes into your heart and into your soul. And eventually what happens is it begins to take root, and it begins to come up and to affect all of your other relationships. You know, the Bible says in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, it says that holding on to bitterness, uh, holding on to past offenses essentially breeds bitterness, and what it does is it imprisons you in the past. Here's what Hebrews 12, 15 says. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many people become defiled. So what is bitterness? Well, bitterness is essentially anger stretched over time. 
And the thing about bitterness is, is it, it, it's this anger that can kind of take root in your life, take root in your soul, and it grows beneath the surface of your life, and it will continue to grow until finally you pull it out. See, here's the problem with, with, with uh, bitterness, is, is it's, it's not a surface problem. It's a rooted problem. So it's something that you can't ignore. It's not something you can you medicate. You can't distract yourself from it. You can't replace it by going to the gym or shopping or starting a new relationship. Until you deal with the problem of bitterness in your life, it will just continue to resurface. It's like mowing dandelions in your yard. We had a lot of rain this last year, didn't we, in Edmonton, right? Anyone have an overabundance of weeds growing in their yard as a result? Right? Because uh, if you're like me, I'm a sprayer. Um, I'll confess, okay? Some people aren't sprayers, they're pullers, okay? I spray my weeds. Um, and so when, you, when it's wet like that, you can't spray all the time. So, I mean, I just got weed, dandelions coming all over the place. So the only solution for me with dandelions this year was what? Mow them down. I just mow them all down. The problem is when you mow down dandelions, they just come back up again. And then they sprout, and they spread, and soon you have a yard that's filled with dandelions. You want to deal with the dandelion problem in your yard, you got to go to the roots. you got to deal with the roots and dandelions. It's the same thing with bitterness in your life. Until you dig things up by the root, they're going to keep coming back. So this bitter root, Hebrew says, will cause trouble, and it says it will defile many. See, the thing about a bitter root is it, is it causes trouble by coloring your perception of reality and coloring your perception of relationships. You know, I talked about this a little bit last week. I, I talked about this thing that's called projection, right? Projection is when you take your past and it colors your future. It's like a set of lenses that you put on. So the pain and the past that you're holding on to eventually colors the way that you look at relationships and that you look at life. And I got to tell you from personal experience that this was true of me. Uh, if you ask Karen this question, I mean, who was Rob Chartrand 30 years ago when I was in high school? I was a person who was um, filled with bitterness. People who knew me, they, they, they would say that I had these angry eyes. So I, I would walk down the hallway of my high school, and I was a big dude, right? And I was captain of my football team, right? Uh, and I was a big dude, and I was an angry dude. So basically, when I walked down the aisle of my high, high school, and I was in a mood, I mean, People got out of the way. It was like Moses parting the Red Sea, right? It's like Rob's brooding, get out of the way. Get out of the way of this guy. And the reason why was because there was something bubbling beneath the surface of my life. And sometimes it would come to the surface and it would lash out. If I was on the football field and I was in a mood, somebody was going to get hurt. Or sometimes it would lash out at home. I mean, even went to my mom's house, there were lots of holes in the cupboard doors from my fists because I was so, so angry. Now, why was I angry? Well, I was holding on to something deep inside of me. And we're going to get into that part of my story a little bit later. A number of you have heard it before. But for today, I want us to consider a fourth option when it comes to past wrongs in our lives. And this fourth option is forgiveness. See, the thing about unforgiveness, the thing about holding on, is it is both a disruptor and it's a destroyer. But the thing about forgiveness is it's a liberator and it's a life giver. So I want us to explore this people skill today of forgiveness, and I want us to do that together. And I want us to walk through a text in Matthew 18. So you can pull out your bulletin notes or pull out a Bible, paper, or digital or otherwise. And just to be transparent, I, I want to let you know that I did teach about this passage of Scripture a couple of years ago, but I felt a sense as I was preparing this series that this was a message that I needed to share again in this season of our journey together as God's people. Uh, I also have a sense that there are some of you in our church family who really, really need to hear this message. 
So let's, let's go into Matthew chapter 18 and start at verse 21, and here's what it says. It says, Peter came up and said to him, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So just a bit of a backstory here. Uh, Peter is asking Jesus a question. It's actually a follow-up question because Jesus just finished this, this, uh, this teaching time uh, talking about confronting people in their sin and how to go about doing that graciously. And we're actually going to look at that next week. Uh, but so Jesus was, you know, the, the question was, uh, if a brother sins against you, what do I do? And so Jesus kind of walks his disciples through it. So now Peter has a follow-up question. Okay, if that's true, you know, well, then how often should I forgive them? Now, it's important to understand that in that day, Jewish rabbis essentially taught that you only needed to forgive somebody three times. So Peter, I mean, he's coming up and he's, like, he's, he's thinking, he's got it pretty good here. He's thinking, I'm being extra generous here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive somebody seven times. He was being very, very generous. So Peter wasn't a second chance person. Peter wasn't a third chance person. Peter was a seven chance person. Now, Jesus' response, of course, was radical compared to the teachers of his day. And Jesus says, well, it's not seven times, it's actually 77 times. Or some translations would translate it, it's seven times, 70 times. So that was actually a very Jewish way. I love background music when I'm preaching, it's awesome. (laughs) That's a very Jewish way of saying that there should be no limit to the number of times you forgive someone. There's no point in keeping track because, in fact, this is how our God forgives. Our God is not a one-chance person, two-chance God, three-chance God. Our God is a 77-chance God. Our God is a 70-times-seven-chance God. He forgives without limit. That's the kind of God that we serve. Now, before we go further, it's probably important to just to stop at this point and talk about what forgiveness is because I, I think we can get a little bit confused about that term. So, essentially, the word forgiveness is an accounting term. It was used in an accounting context uh, within the Bible, and it essentially means to no longer hold someone in account for their debt. Now, as it turns out, as human beings, we're really good, we're quite good at uh, keeping score when other people hurt us. Um, You may have heard the story of the man and his wife who are going to town in a horse-drawn cart, right? And as they're going along the road, they encounter a snake in the road, and the horse won't go any further, so the man gets off of the cart, right? Grabs the snake, throws it into the woods, turns to the horse, and he says, that's one. Gets back in the cart. And then they're driving down the road again, and then they come upon a branch that's in the middle of the road, and the horse won't go around the branch, so the man's like, oh, gets out, you know, grabs a branch, pushes it into the woods, turns to the horse and says, that's two. Gets back into the cart. And the wife and him are going along. And finally, they see a little tiny little stream, ankle deep, just going across the road. And the horse refuses to go across the stream. So they're like, oh, gets out, turns around, looks at the horse and says, that's three. And then he shoots the horse. And then he turns to his wife and he says, well, I guess we're going to have to walk to town, right? So we'll have to buy ourselves a new horse, and then we'll come back and we'll get to the cart. She says, okay, honey, well, will you help me down out of the, out of the cart? He says, well, you know, I think you can handle that yourself. She turns to him and she says, that's one. <laughs> See, we're, we're really good at keeping count as human beings. We keep score. And when people wrong us, we're, we're like these meticulous trackers. We start tracking their offenses like it's a line of credit, right? You lied to me, ching right? You unfollowed me on Instagram, ching right? Uh, you, you cut me off in traffic. Anybody? <laughs> ching okay? So... The problem is, though, is that we keep track in relationships 
again and again and again. And if you never zero the balance, if you never clear the account, well, it begins to rack up a pretty hefty bill against other people. But the thing is, when we forgive somebody, what we're essentially doing is we're wiping the record clean. We are no longer holding them in account. It's like paying off a visa or paying off a student loan. I can remember when I was like 21 years old and I paid off my student loan. My, how good that felt. Just to see that balance at, at zero and no longer at, at, at what it was. That's what forgiveness is like. So the question Jesus asks us is this. Are you a seven-chance person or are you a 77-chance person? Now, to illustrate this teaching, Jesus begins to share with his disciples a parable. So I want to keep going in the scripture this morning. Here's what it says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So we've got his servant. He owes the king 10,000 talents. Uh, let me break this down for you. Basically, a talent was the largest unit of currency in that day. And 10,000 in Greek culture was actually the largest number, the largest numeral. So to say that this man owed 10,000 talents was to say that he owed more money than anyone could ever imagine. In that context of that day, uh, compared to today, it would have been hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. There was no way, absolutely no way, that this man could ever repay this debt. It was that great. And of course, in keeping with the custom of that day, the king decides that he and his family are going to be sold with the proceeds going toward the repayment. That doesn't happen today, but these were indentured servants, and so that's the way that they would have responded naturally in that day. Well, what happened next? So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So, so the servant was desperate. I mean, he didn't know what he was going to do. He was about to be sold, right? So he did whatever he could. So he, he, he actually offered to, make the, to do the impossible. He said to, you, I, said to the king, I will pay you everything. But the problem is, is that the debt was so great that nobody could ever pay it. Not even in a hundred lifetimes could this debt ever be paid off. But his posture of humility deeply moved the, the king. The Greek there is, is, is talking about like it, it moved him in his bowels. It moved him to the deepest part of himself. So he felt this deep compassion in the pit of his stomach and he forgave him everything. No punishment, no strings attached, just pure, unfiltered, unlimited grace. He paid his debt for someone who owed a debt he could not pay. Now, if you were that servant, how would you feel? I mean, really, like if, if you were in his place, how would you feel? How would that change you? How would you, that shape you as you went on and out into the world after that moment? Well, let's look at what happens next. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and he pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, you're probably asking the question, because I would ask the question, I mean, what is a hundred denarii worth? Well, in that day, you basically, a day laborer would make one denarii a day. So, so what he's saying is here, this is about a hundred days worth of uh, earnings, of income. So it was a substantial amount of money, right? But it was nothing compared to the first servant's debt. I mean, let's do the math on this one, okay? So uh, there were about 6,000 denarii in a talent, 
So if you were to take that amount and multiply it by 10,000, the first servant's debt would have been 60 million denarii. The second servant's debt was only 100 denarii. So the difference between it was 600,000 times greater. That's the difference in the debt that was owed between them. And so instead of showing mercy, though, he brought justice. Instead of pity, he had the guy thrown into prison. And that was his response. So what happens next? Well, verse 31, it says, When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. <coughs> and should you not um, have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So when the master, of course, when he hears about this, the master is absolutely livid, which, which we would say, well, that, that's understandable, given we know the context here, right? And he says to him, should you not have had mercy as I had mercy on you? Which means that at the center of the problem in that first servant's life, at the center of the problem was a heart attitude. The servant, the first servant, was somehow untouched by the master's mercy. So the one who had received grace ultimately was not one who was willing to extend grace, which is mind-blowing when you think about it, right? I mean, when we hear the story, we think to ourselves, what's wrong with this servant, right? I mean, did he think maybe, I don't know, somehow he deserved mercy, or, or didn't he fully grasp just how big this debt was that he owed and was, was, uh, was set free from? Whatever it was, for some reason, he was completely unmoved by his first experience. Now, then I want you to notice also the intensity with which the king responds. You know, when you read it in the ESV, which is the translations I'm using it, the, 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 the translation is actually too soft. In the original language, uh, he didn't just send him to the jailers. He, in fact, sent him to the torturers to be repaid for what he had done, which just shows us that God forgives bountifully because God is gracious and loving, but also God punishes ruthlessly because God is completely just and completely holy and righteous. You have these two sides of, of God's character being seen in, in this story. And then Jesus ends and he summarizes the story in, in this final verse. And here's what he says. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. And so we find ourselves in this story today. The king in the story, of course, is our heavenly Father. And we are the servant in the story, and we are given this opportunity to respond. And the point of the parable is this, is, is that if you have truly embraced the height and the depth and the width of God's amazing grace for you, then you must forgive other people. And when I refuse, when I refuse to forgive others, I am acting contrary to grace. It's, it's almost like I'm thumbing my nose at God's grace or I'm, I'm flipping the bird at God's grace. That's how, how harsh the response is when I refuse to forgive others, but I have received God's tremendous, amazing, unlimited grace. <clears throat> now, the clear teaching of Scripture is that every person on the planet needs mercy. I think we can all say that this morning. I need mercy every single day. You know, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the God, uh, glory of God. So each one of us, we've chosen to ignore, we've chosen to disobey or reject God to some varying degrees in our lives or even this morning. And, and because of our sin, it creates this infinite gap, this infinite debt that's between us and God. Romans 23, uh, 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the result, this infinite gap, is, is spiritual death. It's physical death. It's, it's eternal death that's, that's separating us between, uh, that's there between us and God. And yet God in his infinite mercy, God the infinitely merciful king and father, created a way for our debt to be paid. He died on the cross as a payment for the broken, stupid, wicked, hurtful things that we've done. This is how Colossians 2, verse 13 to 14 says it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, the hardness of your heart, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. And when we put our faith in Christ and we ask him for forgiveness, he wipes the slate clean, he cancels the the, the debt, and we can begin again. And so the question when we consider this amazing grace, I mean, that's amazing grace when we consider it, right? The question is, how can we who have been forgiven so much not forgive those who have wronged us? You know, one of the other things that we learned from this parable, though, is that the way to forgiveness is actually through forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive. When we experience God's mercy, the natural response should be to extend mercy to other people. When we truly grasp it, when we truly understand it and experience it, that should be the natural response of the human heart. So the question is, have you received God's forgiveness for yourself today? Do you know that that God loves you? No matter who you are, where you come from, no matter, no matter what you've done today, God looks on you and his posture towards you is love. And God offers to each and every one of us today his free gift of mercy and salvation, free gift of forgiveness. And all you simply need to do is respond. You respond by repenting, in other words, turning away from that which is killing you, that which is destroying you. And you respond through faith by turning towards God and receiving freely his gift of salvation and his mercy and his forgiveness. Repent and believe. And the, the promise of Scripture is that if you believe, God will grant you forgiveness, he'll wipe the slate clean, he'll give you a new beginning, and you can start again. It's really that easy. You cannot buy it, you cannot earn it, there's nothing you can do to get it except turn away from what's killing you and turn, away to the God, turn towards the God who loves you and who will give you forgiveness. It's really that simple today. I wonder this this morning, have you received God's forgiveness for yourself? Because that's who our king is. Now today, when I, when I talk to you about forgiving and forgiving others, I'm, I'm not talking from a theoretical standpoint. You know, I, I want you to know that I, I've had to wrestle through this personally in a big way from my past, but also in little ways as I've gone through life. There's things that I've needed to, to wrestle with in, in personally forgiving other people. But I think a number of you know my story, but I want to recount it this morning just so that you realize and you understand um, how this works. I grew up in a broken, dysfunctional, and abusive home. A lot of this dysfunction was centered around my father's personal addiction to alcohol. Um, He was a brutal drunk, and because of his problem and his unwillingness to deal with his problem, there was a spillover effect that eventually affected my entire family. Uh, it left us in a state of perpetual poverty. Um, it affected my friendships with my, with my, my fellow classmates. I mean, what parent is going to send their kids to go for a sleepover at the home of the town drunk, okay? Um, 
it led to shame and humiliation. There's so many other stories that I could tell. Like, I, you know, like the time where I was 10 years old and my dad woke me up in the middle of the night and said, go get the rifle out of the yard and put it away because if you don't, I'm going to blow my head off. There's a time when I was a teenager, I went to bed with a knife at my bedside because I wasn't sure what was going to happen that night because of the state my dad was in. So this is the type of lifestyle that I grew up with. And because of that, I grew up resenting and hating my father. Absolutely hated him. And these feelings were so intensive that they dominated my life. They were my sole fuel. They drove me to do and everything that I did. They drove me to be an overachiever in life. Uh, they led me to be coercive and manipulative, ma- manipulative in my relationships. Essentially, I was held hostage by my bitterness. I was holding on to this thing so tight that it just colored everything. But then when I was a senior in high school, I discovered God's grace. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that radically changed my life, to quote Kanye West. I was a radically saved Christian, okay? Jesus forgave me, and he rescued my life. But I was still confronted every single day by my home situation because even though I was a new creation in Christ, I still had to go home to live with my father in the trailer park. So Peter's question to Jesus in that season of my life was my most important question. How many times should I forgive my dad? Am I going to be a seven-chance person or am I going to be a 77-chance person? So it became very clear to me in my story that I needed to forgive. But the question was, how do I forgive? And I think that's the question most of us have. How can I forgive? I mean, how does that actually, how does that actually work? And I, that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this message, is I want to get really, really practical and talk about uh, what does it mean to forgive? Because this is a people skill. It's something we want to learn to do. But before we get there, I, what I want to do is I just want to address some of the concerns or misgivings some of you might have about forgiveness. Because these are concerns that I've had, questions I've had in the past. And very quickly then, I want to walk through five very common misunderstandings that we have about forgiveness. Here's the first one. Forgiveness is not condoning, okay? So when you forgive someone, you are not saying, well, what they did was right or what they did was okay. You're not being passive about what happened. As a matter of fact, you're being active about what happened. By forgiving someone, you are actually acknowledging that something has happened. Because if you forgive them, that means you have to forgive them for something, right? So when you forgive somebody, you're saying, yeah, a wrong has been done. And here's the thing, God forgives us our sin, but that does not mean that God condones our sin. So forgiving is not condoning. Second, forgiving is not forgetting. We are called to forgive, but we're not called to forget. And in some situations, forgetting can actually be dangerous or destructive. So if the person you are forgiving is toxic or dangerous or abusive, you need to remember that. You don't forget that. What happens should actually make you wiser as you go into the future in relationship with that person. So a huge theological misunderstanding that that is out there in Christendom, and I don't know where it came from, but it states that God forgives and God forgets. And people will often quote Bible verses like uh, Isaiah 43, 25 that says, I will remember your sin no more, right? But these are, in fact, not the best translations of those verses, okay? So the original language more accurately says, God will not bring it to mind or God will not hold it in account. It doesn't say that God forgets. And think about this. I mean, can an infinitely wise, omniscient, all-knowing God actually forget? And the other thing to consider is that at the end of it all, in the book of Revelation, when you get to the end of the story, there's a book that's actually opened, 
and it talks about all the events of our lives, all the things we've done, right and wrong. So God doesn't forget, but he does forgive. And so for us, we should forgive, but we shouldn't keep bringing it up. But that doesn't mean that we should forget. It's a difference. Third, it's not reconciling. Forgiveness is not reconciling. So to reconcile, this is another, this is another accounting term, but it essentially means to make peace between two people, uh, and this accounting term means to bring it into alignment. So you reconcile your bank statement. You may have heard that term before. That's what reconciliation is, bringing into alignment. And in the same way, we bring relationships into alignment through reconciliation. When they're broken or dis- disjointed, that's what reconciliation does. So forgiving someone, though, is not the same as reconciling with somebody. Now, in order to reconcile with somebody, you have to forgive them, right? That's necessary. But, and so in that way, forgiveness is a, is a precursor towards reconciliation. But what this means then is you can forgive someone and not reconcile with them yet. It takes two people to reconcile, but it only takes one person to forgive. Here's the fourth thing. Forgiveness is not depending on repentance. See, sometimes people will not admit that they're wrong. Sometimes they're too stubborn. Sometimes they're too afraid. Right? That's too out there, right? Or sometimes they might even see things differently than you do. So your forgiveness is not dependent on that person's repentance. Because here's the thing. There are some people in your life that you may need to forgive, and they will never reconcile with you. They will never repent because that person that hurt you is dead. There are people in your past who've hurt you and you'll never be able to have another conversation with them. But you can still forgive them even though they've passed on. You know, we sometimes think that forgiveness is showing weakness. But in fact, that can't be further from the truth. You know, there's one psychologist that put it this way. He says that when somebody deeply wounds you, that person has power over you as long as you hold on to it. As long as you don't forgive, they will continue to have power over your life. Because what they did will continue to control you. It'll continue to dominate your thinking. It'll continue to color your future. But when you forgive that person, you're in fact doing a very powerful thing. You are taking power back from the person who has wronged you. And you are choosing to no longer allow that to have control over your life. Forgiveness is not weak, friends. Forgiveness is powerful and strong. Here's the last thing. Forgiveness is not negating consequences. You know, sometimes a person may have to face the consequences of their actions, even if you forgive them, right? These could be legal consequences. They might have to make restitution for something that they've done, okay? But whether they pay or not, whether they make restitution or not, you still can forgive them. So how can I forgive? You know, how can I forgive somebody who's wronged me? You know, I, I think it's important that as you consider this is that you, you consider it in two stages. Here's the first stage. Forgiveness is, first of all, an event. This is the starting point. Forgiveness begins with a choice. It begins with this decision that we make at a moment in time. You know, and when you read Scripture, every single verse in Scripture actually speaks about this. You choose at some point to forgive somebody. And oftentimes, uh, we, we think we can't forgive somebody because we don't feel like forgiving. So we're, we're essentially saying we're controlled by our feelings of pain or anger and, and shame. And so everything within us fights against this idea of forgiveness. Believe me, I know. I know from personal experience. The idea of forgiveness, is almost, it almost 
repulses us, right? Or it even terrifies us to think that we're going to actually forgive this other person for what they've done. But here's the thing is any major life change never begins with your feelings. If you want to do anything of significance in your life, anything of worth, anything of value, anything that's difficult, it will never start with your feelings. It always begins with your will, the will to change, the place of choice, the place of volition. If you want to change your life, you choose first to change and let your feelings follow because your feelings will never lead you towards change. Your feelings will always lead you towards the easy way because your feelings want to keep you away from pain and difficulty. Forgiveness begins by choosing to do the right thing. And maybe today is the day that you choose to forgive that person who has wronged you. Here's the second stage. Forgiveness is a process. So forgiveness happens when when you actually continue to make that difficult choice again and again. And as you continue to make that difficult choice again and again and again, what's going to happen is that your feelings will begin to follow. So you can actually train your loves, you can train your passions, you can train your heart, you can train your feelings. By continuing to do the right thing again and again, your feelings at one point will eventually catch up. And so what this means then is that the, the experience of forgiveness may not happen in the moment, but the experience of forgiveness may happen over time. Think about this. I mean, your heart and your mind have been trained to cast a guilty verdict against that person, especially if you've been holding on to something for a very long time. When you think about that person, when that person comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind is what they've done to you. First thing that comes to mind is how they've hurt you. And that's because your heart and your mind have just been trained to think that way. When you think about them, you have these memories and these feelings come to the surface. So the reality is when you are walking in forgiveness, you're beginning to walk in forgiveness with somebody, it takes time for that to shift. These feelings are going to come up again. These thoughts and these memories are going to come up again. It's just not going to be automatic. So you might still replay, replay these past events. But here's the thing is when those memories and those feelings begin to surface, you need to, again, pull your will in and say, I'm putting my will at the front, and I'm choosing today, even though I feel this way about this person, I'm choosing this day to forgive them. God help me as I walk in forgiveness with this person today. I no longer hold them account for what they've done. And as you do that again and again and again, With God's help, he'll change your heart. So you need to think about your heart as this huge, immense ship, like the Titanic or some sort of a cruise ship, but it's got a little tiny rudder. And when you forgive, you're essentially turning that rudder, and the rudder's turned, your will has turned, but the rest of the ship has not yet turned, and it's going to take time for that ship to move. But if you let go of the rudder, the ship's just going to keep going and veering off into the wrong direction, okay? It's going to take time. And my encouragement for you as you walk through this path of forgiveness is don't let go of that rudder. Keep your will intact. Tell yourself again and again, I choose to forgive this person. I choose to no longer hold them in account. God help me to do that. And eventually, over time, your heart will change and you begin to experience and walk in forgiveness with this other person. So forgiveness is an event, but forgiveness is also a process. And of course, in my story, I, I, I had an event. 
I had a moment in time. I was only a few months into my spiritual journey and I was confronted with this question. Was I going to be a seven chance person or was I going to be a 77 chance person? And I came face to face with my own darkness. I knew I wasn't innocent. I knew my heart. I knew the, the, the hatred and anger that I experienced in the past. I knew all the stupid things I'd done, how I'd lied and cheated and hurt people and manipulated women. And yet still Christ chose to forgive me and he welcomed me and he adopted me as his son into his family. And so I had to ask myself a question. One night it just came storming in and I had to ask my question, myself this question is, if Jesus has forgiven me so much when my soul is so black, how could I not forgive my father? How could I hold that back from him? And so that night I made the choice, I made the life-giving and liberating and healing choice to forgive my dad. And when I made that choice in that moment, it was almost like this weight had come off my shoulders. There was this sense of shackles being removed, of freedom and liberation in my life as Christ came in. Now, when I went home, of course, there were times that the pain and the hurt and the memories came to the surface again, right? But every time they did, I said to God, I said, God, I, I choose to forgive my dad. I choose to no longer hold him to account for the things that he's done. And God, would you help me, help me to forgive him? And at first, only my will was changed. I'll admit, I, I was white-knuckling this thing, you know, white-knuckling in, in my forgiveness. Oh, I've got to forgive, I've got to forgive. But over time, God changed my heart. He transformed me. And when he did that, my experience in life changed. It was like it was dandelions being pulled out of my soul, and God could then begin a deeper healing and transformation process within me. And at first, this, this step of forgiveness, eventually it led to me reconciling with my dad. This doesn't happen with all people, but it actually radically transformed my relationship with my father. And I was able to actually begin a friendship with him. And near the end of his life, when he went in for a heart bypass surgery, I even had the opportunity to lead him to accept Christ's forgiveness for himself. So I would not have gotten to reconciliation if we hadn't first gotten to the point of forgiveness. And God used that in my life. And I tell you my story today to let you know this today. You might be here and you might be saying, I don't believe forgiveness is possible. I say to you this morning, it is possible. And I believe it's possible, first of all, because God in his word says that it's possible. And I believe that. But I also believe it's possible because I've experienced it personally in my own life. So let me ask you today, do you want to be free from the pains of your past? Are you willing then to take the courageous step of becoming a 77 chance person? Today I want to give you the chance and I want to give you the opportunity to step into freedom. I want to give you the chance to um, forgive those who have wronged you. To release the power that they have had over you. To take it back. And to begin the process of healing. Which is what God wants for you and in you. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. And I've used this prayer before and I'll probably use it until I go to be with Jesus. This is a prayer of forgiveness. If you don't have the words in your heart today to forgive, perhaps these words can be a guide for you as you forgive. Before we put them up on the screen, I just want to ask you, is there someone who's wronged you? Is there someone today that you need to forgive? God wants you to be free from that today. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer in your own heart. So let's put it up on the screen. And there's two parts of it. I'm going to read it. And then let me give you a chance, if that's true for you, to just say it yourself from your heart. 
I'm hurt and angry. You may not know what you did to harm me. You may not believe you did anything wrong. You may be too afraid or proud to admit it. I could have some misunderstanding about the situation. But I can't keep these chains of hurt and blame hanging around my neck. I know that I've made hundreds, thousands of mistakes, yet God has forgiven me. Can you say that today in your heart? I'll give you a moment. Can we go back to the other slide, please? Thank you. Let's move to the next slide. I'll read it and I'll give you a chance to read it from your heart. Father, thank you for the infinite grace you've shown me. And thank you for paying a debt that I could never repay. Father, I choose to forgive this person. I release them from what I think they should repay me. I no longer hold them in account for what they did. Father, from this day forward, help me to walk in forgiveness. I choose to forgive this person daily. In time, Lord, as I forgive, heal my pain and change my heart. This is the difficult part. I want to give you a moment. I want to take this chance to pray with you and for you. Can we pray? God, we can't even begin to understand how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of God that is for us through Christ Jesus. And today we just respond from our hearts with gladness and joy. And we say thank you for loving us. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for forgiving us. God, we want to be a people who are a 77 chance people, a people whose forgiveness is quick and infinite. God, would you help us to become that? God, for those two today who have prayed this prayer and have released some, somebody from the power that they have over them, I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that they would be able to continue walking in forgiveness now. I pray they would experience the freedom that you have for them. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And this is true of them today. I pray that over them. I pray for freedom. I pray for newness of life. I pray for joy. And I pray for a future that is not colored by a past. I pray they would press on to the calling for which you've called them in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks now, Lord that you are faithful and you will do it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.